recording. Mm-hmm. We're calling someone. Staying in bonus style. <laughs> oh, hello? Edgar! Can you guys hear me okay? We can. Yeah. Hi. Can you hear us okay? I can hear you okay. Aww. Let me know if it gets... Oh, nice to hear your voices. Know, nice to hear you too. <laughs> <laughs> I just got caught up. Oh my God, it's been so long. <laughs> I know. How's, how's what is it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> how's everything going? What there? have you been guys been doing? <laughs> we've been, you we've know, partying. Been. <laughs> we've been out partying constantly. You know. Uh, yeah, we've been. Least, I guess in the world, there's now um, nobody has FOMO anymore, right? Because <laughs> what is? It's FOMO has disappeared for the first quarter of 2020. Yeah. yeah. Well, first quarter feels quite optimistic, Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, FOMO is now gone for the whole of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be. Oh my god, it's uh, weird what you talk. But to all people. of those people who suffer from FOMO really badly must be like loving it at the moment. They'd be like a pig in shit because they're just sort of like ah, no parties I haven't been invited to. I guess people there's there's I guess there's FOMO about Zoom parties, right? Oh, I don't think anyone's having FOMO about Zoom parties. <laughs> I think at the beginning, yeah. Zoom parties were so exciting, and now it's like a chore. It's so tiring. Do you, uh, I, I'm sort of getting... There's a few things I've been getting sick of, and when I say I'm getting sick of, this is not to make light of the deadly situation that we're in. Of course. <laughs> but, but aside from that, and the fact that people could die, um, you know, just... It seems like people like want to. Uh, it's not just that Zoom has taken over in terms of conferences. There seems like a um, more need to have Zoom calls than you would have normal calls anyway. It feels like people need to justify their existence, especially <laughs> in the entertainment business. I don't know if that's the same in other industries. I'm sure it probably is. Where it's like uh, we better ha- we better schedule a Zoom call so we can all re- remember that we mean something. Yeah, so oh I can look, look upon another human face and go, "There you are." And things that would have yeah. just been like a normal phone call or just an email. Yeah, well, no, but like I'm doing these late night talk shows soon, right? And you, it's always a phone call. They call you. They sort of go over what they want to talk the about pre- beforehand. Like the pre interview. The pre interview. Yeah. And now even that's a Zoom call. That's why does <laughs> Why does that need to be a Zoom call? You know what my new rebellion you, in Zoom calls, of work Zoom calls is? No video. Yeah. You don't deserve the Oh, video. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, and a, or you could put a cuddly toy in your place or something and then just kind of be speaking off camera or a, something. A pretty good bit. That would be quite fun to do. <laughs> but I, we, it's like you have to kind of, I have to check in every time and be like, okay, can you just tell me, is this, am I going to be putting on mascara or not for this? Because I need to know uh, how I need to look for Because they'll change it to a Zoom call last at the last minute. minute. Yeah. Um, when when are you have you done a talk show appearance yet? No, not yet. I have all of mine are next week. Now, are you thinking about what you're going to tastefully put in, put in the back of your shot? It's so difficult. I can't. Well, Emily's like. Do off- you have one of those Colin uh, Joe's acoustic guitars? <laughs> Everybody noticed it immediately. Why was that the first thing you saw? It's so crazy. I was like, what were you just playing? I should have a guitar, but with no strings in it. (laughs) I should just have a drawing of a guitar. (laughs) Yes. Like a smashed up guitar. That's actually funny. I'll do that. I'll draw up like some books and then a guitar and just like put it, paste it back there. Maybe a keyboard just casually laid. Yeah. When I do Colbert. Yeah. Maybe that's what it should become known as. It's just like, it's, it's like, so, but you know, just that becomes the verb of like an. It's only an acoustic guitar in somebody's living room. 
so right. Like, Why is it so audio? So if you came into somebody's, you came into somebody's apartment, you're saying, "Oh, I didn't know you played the joust." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got a joust like you on jousting? your couch, I like always, arranged. I always would joke when guys would play acoustic guitar in, in front of me on dates, which has happened many times in my life. I don't ever know where to look. Like, am I supposed to look at the guitar deep into their eyeballs? Am I supposed to look away? I usually just close my eyes and wait for it to be over. <laughs> it, it's. It has so it has solved one of the mysteries of mankind. Is like that is how you woo Scarlett Johansson with, <laughs> oh, with guess, the acoustic guitar. I guess that's correct. Yeah, you're you right. Break that... out, you break out more than words by extreme late at night, and she's yours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she knew where to look. Clearly, I didn't yeah, know where to look. <laughs> she knew where to, deep into his eyes. Yeah, I guess that's, so. That's it. And that was the, that was it. And he's a lovely man, but that was an odd choice. We'll say. Well, no, I yeah. <laughs> we don't really know him super well, but that, that was an odd choice. I've ne- Colin, I've never met you, but but um. It was it was very sweet. It was actually quite sweet, actually, because it did look like he'd really thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then next week it was gone. There was no, there was no. Like, right. a, that a, was a the note from Lorne. Lorne was like, hey, great bad. <laughs> One strong note. <laughs> Lose the joust in the background. I have really good wallpaper in my office. So I it, that one I'm set up for. But then the office doesn't have a door. So if I need to have the door closed, now we're back at square one. It's What have you been doing for stuff like that? I, I actually, I, I do like Zoom stuff in my study. Or I've been doing quite a lot of, um, you know, like uh, Zoom or Skype Q&As. Um, you know, and a lot of like messages and stuff. Like, um, again, maybe more than like... <laughs> more than normal yeah. which is fine it's like nice talking to students and stuff but i do have um in my study i do have like like posters of my movies like mondo posters for like oh. the cornetto trilogy and stuff which does and like i was on a zoom call the other day and joe cornish said he goes are you sitting in a shrine to yourself edgar <laughs> and I said, no i said this is one room in the house I, you know because you get all those cool mondo posters and it's like it's got to go up somewhere yeah and i don't have an office in london and stuff so the study there's no other me posters in the rest of the apartment well, just, well, just you, in the study your place in la that we've been to many times has uh, a lot of great like fan, fan art. art yeah for for you yeah department. mostly mostly in the basement and a little bit in the kitchen but then in the main rooms like i had to try and like, I would, I, it, it couldn't can take over the whole house well, it's quite a lot of it actually yeah but then i think it was <laughs> i think it was because me and simon Pegg went to this gallery 88 um, yes yes exhibition where they did a Cornetto actually it wasn't just Cornetto it was all of my films because it had Scott Pilgrim as well but I ended up buying so much stuff and then you know where does it I go mean, <laughs> it's got to go somewhere it goes in the house yeah exactly I mean I wonder like sort of I I, I have to wonder if anybody's ever come around and going like Okay, yeah, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> but I also feel like your movies do inspire people to do fan art. And it is like if you see something that like I, the idea that people would make fan art, which I've, we've seen a couple things of ours, like that someone would be inspired enough by what you do to make like a really cool piece of art. It's like, why would you not want that? Like, but then that it, it is the tough. Someone gave Kumail and I like a um, large framed photo of our like our wedding photo that we have. Like, and we were like, where are we supposed to put this? Like, that's not something that should definitely go up in your house. That that is a literal shrine to yourself. So I don't know where that is. Yeah, now. it's a tricky one with those things. I think that's what people struggle with with the Oscar as well, is where to sort of like oh. put in stuff. Yeah, we struggle with yeah. that. Speaking of which, though, I tell, I tell you who else is Zoom background, and I don't mind like um, 
you know, have you seen uh, Ricky Gervais when he's doing been doing any oh. Zooms and Skype <laughs> things? Like he really, he really, he basically has positioned his laptop in front of the awards cabinet. It's quite something. Uh huh. Okay, I like that. That's it's a move. Worth, That's it's a worth move. looking at. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I will definitely, definitely, definitely look at that. I mean, there's that. a big difference between my one or two Mondo posters and Ricky Gervais's like. Um, you know, entire wall of international Emmys. I think I, I played Will Wheaton, uh, his tabletop uh, games show that he had, and I won, and I got a trophy from that. That uh, That's what put I'll that put up. Put that back there. That, that's what I'll put up yeah, on my mind. put that back <laughs> I there. I beat Will Wheaton at a tabletop game. Um, well, Edgar, we wanted to talk- I, did, I guess I did, a thing, I did a thing for AFI Movie Club where I had to do an intro, and I shot it in front of my wall of physical media and uh, it does look a little bit i mean <laughs> this this has tended to happen in more than one place that i've had over the years is that like suddenly like a room becomes like a video store i remember seeing <laughs> that in your basement i remember being like oh okay yeah oh <laughs> i know well i think the funny thing is is that I, i'm not i'm not completely 100 sold on streaming with some things because like yeah it is that weird thing where people kind of say, oh, you know, like, um, why do you still buy physical media? And it's like, well, some of these like outlets don't, A, they don't have everything. Or even when they do, they're not in the best quality. Like, um, you know, so it kind of annoys me when you sort of say, oh, this is on Amazon, but it's on like some shitty SD version. And it's like you're watching this classic movie on like not the best. So I'm. it's weird. I had this thing. This is absolutely true. I had this thing where... I've got so many books and films, and even though I, I've seen a lot of films, there's still a lot of classic films I've seen. And I have this list, which I feel is almost like my um, my kind of um, countdown to doomsday kind of list. <laughs> of like, Or rather, it's the list that I kind of, I wonder sometimes when I look at it, saying, well, I watch all of these in my lifetime. And it's like, it's, it's like a thousand movies long. Really? Basically. Yeah, and basically, like, um, but I've been, I put a serious dent into it in the last, like, month. I must have watched, I've watched over 100 movies since the lockdown began. Wow, well done. And, uh, but the funny thing is, is that I always had this little fantasy. Um, I've, like, with, you know, I have a lot of books and DVDs, and you're working a lot, and you think, like, it would be great to have some kind of, and forgive me, it would be great to have some kind of like non-life-threatening injury where I could just take a year off. <laughs> now, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish there's for. there's a lot of different ways this could play out. But it's like, wouldn't it be great to have a year off just to read these books and watch these DVDs? So I don't think that this situation is because of like a monkey's paw uh, uh, wish that I had. But if it is, I really apologize. Yeah. That it was like somehow like I'd contrived. It's the new conspiracy. It's gone beyond the 5G conspiracy. Yeah, it's It's the the monkey's paw. Edgar Wright started it because he had a big stack of Criterion Blu-rays he wanted to get through. It's like, I just need some time, guys. Can I just stay home? Oh, okay, well, I'll stay home. And I'm not injured? Oh, great. Okay, fair. That's going to be great. (laughs) Well, what, what we, you know, what was uh, the reason we wanted to talk to you? Well, obviously, one, we miss we you, you and it yeah. was nice to hear your voice and, and talk. But also, you've been sort of curating these double features on Twitter that seem really, really fun. Um, and uh, you, how often are you doing those? I'm doing it once a day. I don't know what's, I think it's because a lot of people, you know, I've done these lists before on the internet, and usually they're kind of like gargantuan lists. So sometimes, like, you know, like I, d- I did one list of like a thousand favorite movies, and like sometimes for some people that's just they're like, uh, wait, wait, narrow it down, like give me ten, yeah, and it's like, oh, I can't, I can't do that, but I could give you, you know, like so. Sometimes it's just like 
people ask me a lot on social media, what should I watch or recommendations, anything you've been watching recently. So I just thought as well, I guess it's partly also because I miss going to the cinema Mm -hmm. and like, you know, places like the New Beverly in Los Angeles or the BFI South Bank in London. I just miss being there and watching old movies. So I thought I would just do it for my, sort of for my own amusement, but just to give, and also sometimes for younger like fans who maybe don't, know some older films or or don't have any context for them to sort of like just curate these fantasy double bills and maybe you know in the hope that one day like sort of you have to be able to do them at a cinema and stuff but but i haven't been watching them myself all the time a couple of times i've watched some of them again i just started doing it it's also that thing i don't know if you found that just um i found writing really tough recently that's what i'm supposed to be doing and it's been the one thing I'm lucky in that I do have a job that I could do at home, and yet it's been really difficult. Yeah. Sure. So some, sometimes just writing those tweets is just literally getting your brain going and like sort of think yeah. about something else for 15 minutes and like sort of write it up. But it's been fun. So when I don't know how many of them I've done now, like like 30, more, 40. It's been quite a bit. And so when you're thinking about it, are you thinking movies that are like one older and one kind of newer that feels like uh, a like spiritual successor? How are you kind of thinking about it when you're putting them together? Yeah, some of it's like that. Like, it's something where, you know, and especially if you put a, a newer film with an older film, if people are more like, maybe sort of some people have seen the newer film and then they say, oh, I didn't realize this was like that. So sometimes they're thematic ones. I mean, usually they're thematic ones or things that I think, you know, where, I don't know, like pairing like, um, you know, Jordan Peele's Get Out with, Where's Craven's People Under the Stairs? And it's funny, and I, I, I actually sent that one. I sent the link to, like, Jordan, and he said, oh, man, I love People Under the Stairs. So I was glad that he approved you did, of that. You, you know. did it right. You did, well. you did it well. So so, so that's one of them? That's a good, that's a great pairing. Yeah, I did, uh, like, sort of, some of them are ones that I've always thought about where, like, I feel like the, you know, the characters from one could appear in the in the other. Like, the one yesterday was... The 1972 film Silent Running and the Pixar film Wall-E. Because I always, if you watch that movie, you'll see exactly why I didn't really want to, I didn't want to really ruin it too much with people who haven't seen Silent Running, what the ending is. But let's just say it would, it would just blend perfectly into the start of Wall-E. And it sort of, and it has, it's basically both of them revolve in different ways around like drone robots who are, like, um, the last hope of preserving, um, you know, like, uh, nature. And it's wow. it's funny. Well, as soon as I saw Wally, I was like, oh, wow, this is a bit like silent running. And then I thought, well, what if you what if you ran them together? In the same way, you know, like, so there's some things where, like, the idea of, like, seeing kind of um, uh, an, an actor be in two very different films, like Ferris Bueller and Election is a good double yes. bill because they're both high school movies and... You know, Matthew Broderick essentially becomes the middle-aged teacher. That or he like, would have um, hated, that he would have rebelled against in the first movie. Yeah. yeah. I also have this theory about uh, uh, Animal House, or American Graffiti and Animal House, because Richard Dreyfuss's character is like a writer who goes to college at the end of the movie. And I think, well, if you just squint and, and pretend like Richard Dreyfuss becomes Tom Holtz, it's like the sequel to American Graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in terms of these like fantasy, it's always a bit like doing kind of some weird fan fiction where you're like sort of creating these extra narratives to things or I don't know, or just, um, but it, it's just, a, 
I mean, I've done that stuff for real. Like, as you know, probably I did it at the New Beverly several times. Mm-hmm. And I, I've programmed at other cinemas over the, you know, like um, in London and Toronto. And uh, I love doing it, but uh, I miss doing it as well. So it's kind of just... And they're also usually, non-standard movies. To be completely honest, it's usually when I'm staring at my final draft and not being able to write anything, I'm thinking, uh, let me do a double bill for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever can distract you. That's I, the real reason. I do think a lot of these, like Wally, like I've never, like, I like a non-standard kind of like fun movie programming, like idea of like doing a double bill that isn't the standard movies that are always in double bills. We're like, oh, we're going to watch the thing. And then, you know, we'll watch the, I love those movies too, but it's like, I think there's so many fun corners of moviedom that you could like explore and with this. I don't think I know anybody who knows those corners as well as you do. Oh, yeah, Edgar. You know some corners. Edgar. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, corners. it's just, uh, I think it's a thing where, um, you know, there's so much out there that, you you know, people need kind of curation of things because there's just too much content. And it's also a thing, even I, like, I have, like, tons of, like, physical media at home and I have most of the streaming platforms and stuff. But you have that bizarre thing where it's just that, in the same way that maybe back in the 80s you'd stand in a video store yep. for, like, <laughs> way Forever. too long. Yes. It's just that thing where you sort of just have to make a decision, you know, like, let's do this tonight, you know. So I have to kind of, like, narrow things down even with my girlfriend, when she sort of says, what should we watch tonight? I'm saying, well, what kind of thing do you want to watch? An <laughs> old movie? A new movie? A scary movie? A sad movie? You have to like really narrow it down because otherwise the, the possibilities are just endless. And then you could just be scrolling around forever. Yep. So sometimes you just have to kind of like rip the plaster off saying, okay, let's watch, let's watch this. Or I was like, I want to see that. I said, okay, let's watch that. That's you a know, very but, specific. Like, otherwise it could go on forever. Forever. Kumail is, uh, sometimes you need to be, you're like, oh, I, I need to be in the right mood to watch a thing. Whereas I'm just like, let's just put it yes. on and we'll, well figure it out. But, but I've been better about it yes, in this, have. in this time because we've watched, we watch movies at 10 AM at 11 AM. And I never, I liked watching movies like at least n- not until the afternoon, but now we're like, like the other weekend we watch, we got up in the morning, got breakfast and like while watching eating breakfast, we watched Chinatown at like nine a.m. <laughs> it was great. Uh, it's it's. I mean, I I've been doing something which is pretty antisocial, but it's um, but <laughs> I I sometimes get up like um, and I think my girlfriend thinks I'm crazy doing this, but uh, I get up and watch movies. I get up pretty early. I usually like get up with the sun. I like sort of don't sleep that much. And I usually like when like it's like usually by like six o'clock I am up whether I've set my alarm or not. And then sometimes like my sort of like <laughs> moment of solace on a daily basis is to sort of be up. And before even maybe like doing some physical activity or anything is to sometime have watched an entire like two hour movie before anybody else is up. That's wow. the best you know? feeling. And I've been doing that quite a lot. And, and usually, usually it's a film that I kind of figure that uh, um, like – because sometimes also, like, you know, with something that's new that you haven't seen before, they, they're always films I haven't seen before, and you kind of want to sometimes not take a punt on something yes. that your other half isn't going to like. So 100%. it's like, I'll watch this. Yes. Oh, you know. yes. But, I, but, I, but I've also, it's been that funny thing of the things that you sort of watch first thing in the morning. It sort of take I don't know. So it, it, um, I did watch, like, uh, this uh, Japanese uh, film by... Uzo called Late Spring, which was like so beautiful, and it was like somehow like the perfect thing to watch at six thirty in the morning, sitting on the couch with a little espresso <laughs> and like a glass of water, 
Oh, you know, that sounds great. That should be another thing. Like things best. to watch at 6am. That's a very specific category of movie. I would think. Yeah. I watched a film at 6am this morning. <laughs> I watched it. I watched, <laughs> I watched, um, I watched a Peter Ustinov film called Billy Bud, uh, like a naval, like a uh, naval drama with starring um, in his first role ever, ter- a very young Terrence Stamp. Whoa. And Terrence, Stamp wow. is, Terrence Stamp is in my new movie. And um, he'd talked about the making of this several times. So it was like staring at me, this Blu-ray. And, but it's that weird thing when you've got like, literally hundreds of like discs and stuff, where it's that thing you have to kind of get up or, or even whenever you're going to watch a movie. Like I tend to, my, my day has usually been a movie like at six in the morning. And then maybe later, if I feel like I've got some work done or achieved something, like done a little bit of work or done some emails or done some calls or like been for a walk, I kind of feel like I can treat myself to a four o'clock movie. Great. And then maybe in the and then maybe in the evening it'll be like I mean if it's a, like a really like a day where like no work is gonna get done, then it's like a morning movie, a two o'clock movie, a four o'clock movie, and then something else in the evening. That's usually when. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's my, great. <laughs> usually, I know. That sounds amazing. So I, I've really been, but I feel that the funny thing is, is that strange thing is like, well, you know, I feel like I'm doing some, uh, uh, you know, kind of correspondence film history course that doesn't exist. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I know like, exactly. But it's something like because it's like I write films and I direct films, so it never feel it never feels like I'm wasting time. Right. Exactly. I'm not like sort of like. I never feel like I'm wasting time or it's something like that was two hours. I'll never get back. It's right. always interesting. You always get something out of it, even if it's a terrible movie or movie that's not yes. for you. Yeah, I agree. And that's yeah, what I tell exactly. myself too. If I can't, if I, if I'm creatively like, can't make, like I'm not able to write that day. I'm like, at least I should consume something that will illuminate it in some way, shape or form for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's the thing. Like it's not, it's like sort of act. It's, it's like, it's positive procrastination because if you're writing like a crime film and you're like stuck, you, you know, like stick a crime film on, you know, something you've never seen. It will always kind of like spark, even if it's not directly the thing that you're looking for, it will give, it will give you something. I mean, it's something I feel like sort of like, you know, it's something, especially when I've done like movies that have like got lots of kind of genre conventions in them like right back from Shaun of the Dead, it's usually as a sort of, as a point of having watched so many of the films that all of those things go into you by osmosis. So it's like, right. you can't even necessarily remember what was from what film. Um, but then it's just like, you're just kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I'm pretty, for, I mean, I wish I read, I haven't like read as many books as I'd like to be reading, but films and music, I've just been doing a ton. Yeah, and that's always kind of been your bag, for sure. Yeah. 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 Let's take a quick break and hear some ads, listen to them, don't do the fast forward. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it, been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, 
great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you will instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. Well, do you have any great double features for our listeners uh, that uh, they would enjoy? I've been trying to think of, well, let me have a look and see which ones I've been doing already. Like, so yeah, I, I, um, of course. I've been trying to think of one to go with the big sick, actually. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear no, that. No, seriously, I was kind of thinking of trying to think of one that would be the perfect complement to that, but I haven't quite figured it out yet. I need to Do you have one, one for Baby Driver? Like, what's a good compliment for Baby Driver? Well, I, um, I have shown that one with... Um, I've done that before, actually, at the Beyond Fest. We did a double bill of Walter Hill's The Driver and Baby Driver. Okay. Now, Walter Hill's movie from 1978 is kind of the, you know, it, it's the sort of the um, the year zero for for that kind of movie because um, I, I'm not sure that there's, there's, a, there's some movies before that that f- focus on The Getaway Driver, but that one specifically is, like, hugely influential. It's, like, a big influence on my movie and big influence on drive and a big influence on like um michael mann's movies like Mm -hmm. thief and heat and it's like really um it doesn't really get enough credit also do you remember there was a there was a video game that was like a straight ripoff of it called driver yeah in the kind of the uh, mid-90s late 90s maybe yeah no i think it was a little bit after that but i remember i remember the the game you're talking about yeah yeah no because it literally was that it was that movie but like sort of unofficially um and that that one, I feel like I I, I always like um, I I always pair Baby Driver with with the driver because it also kind of like um, not only do I love the film and I'm completely obsessed with it, and even Walter Hill, the director, does a a little audio cameo in Baby Driver. But I I, I always I always nod towards that one because then it always um, uh, kind of uh, uh, diffuses. Um, the people that kind of accuse Baby Driver of being a ripoff of Drive. <laughs> I can always go, well, I'd like to direct you to this 1978 film, <laughs> The Driver. <laughs> you could say that we both yeah, ripped it off. we're both ripping that one off. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, the I... other one that I'd put with Baby Driver, if I had a different one that's not a Getaway Driver film, it would probably be like the Blues Brothers because like, I think that's like another like great cars and music film and just... You know, I absolutely love that movie. And I, I, in fact, I programmed that in London at the Pitch House Central. And John Landis happened to be in town. And I did like a special Q&A with him. Nobody even knew he was there. And I was like, oh, stick around at the end because there'll be a little surprise. And then John did a Q&A. But that movie, I mean, that movie, I, I, I knew that off by heart just by like I had, I think I taped it off the telly or something like that when I was like a teenager. But I just knew it. But on, on the big screen, it's a whole different proposition. Like on the big screen, really loud. It's such a party movie. I love it. I could. I need to see that again because I think I saw. A bit, I saw that when I was quite young, and I just did not get it. I did not get why it was cool or funny. And I, I remember being like, I don't know. I don't know what's up. And so I that it's been literally since I was like eleven or twelve. Let's watch Blues Brothers again. Yeah, we should probably watch it again. It's a good one to watch that. Also, the funny thing about Blues Brothers, and I, this isn't too consensual to say this, but like, it's a very deadpan stoner movie. Um, it almost feels like you're watching a Jim Jarmusch movie with like massive car chases in it. But I always thought it's funny about that movie is that they're so deadpan 
And it, it's so deadpan giving that everybody is really coked out of their eyeballs. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, Just that's working not, hard. That's not, You're not that's right. not salacious gossip. That's well recorded. No, that's about like, that yeah, if you have a fan going fast enough, it looks still. That's what's going on with them. <laughs> yes, that's um, exactly it with that movie. And it's it's kind of sort of amazing about it because what is, you know, you normally in, in other cases with something like that, with like sort of cocaine abuse, you can tell what that has resulted in, in terms of, like, manic, like, sort of uh, energy and stuff. Mm-hmm. But with the Blues Brothers, it's, it's sort of gone the other way, where it's, like, ridiculously deadpan. And, like, sort of... I mean, I I love that movie so much. And it's, and it's also just one of those movies where... I always, like, turn to those movies where you think this... We'll never see its like again. Like, those, thing, those things can only happen where there's that perfect kind of storm of like the right performers and the right director coming off the back of a massive hit where it's those kind of movies where it feels like they took the studio to the cleaners. It's like, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, it's they play Animal House, like John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd couldn't be bigger. And they say, hey, we want to make this two and a half hour, like, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, R&B movie with the biggest car chase you've ever seen. Uh, we don't have the script ready yet, but we need like thirty million dollars to thirty million dollars in like uh, in uh, nineteen seventy nine money. <laughs> like, right, and you just watch it thinking, "Holy shit, they really this." And they're like, "What's the IP?" It's and just... they're like, "Oh, it's a uh, their sketches on SNL." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just need a lot of money. Just give us all of the money, please. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I as a kid watched that movie without ever having seen the SNL sketch because SNL didn't yeah doesn't really screen in the UK so. I was not aware. It was just like it was just funny to me. These two, the you know, brothers in, in sunglasses and suits that never take their sunglasses off apart from one shot. Uh, anyway, I mean, that would be a good double bill, I think. In fact, also, Baby Driver, I don't know whether you ever do this, but I also have like a, a good luck film to watch, like the night before, um, you know, starting something. Uh-huh. Like, watch like a good luck, a good luck film. And when I made Baby Driver, I watched the Blues Brothers like, the night before we started. That's oh, your good luck film. I that's great. Love that. I've never, I've never thought no, of that. Great. Never done that. So now I'm looking at your. Uh, there's another double bill here. I think this is the Cabin Fever double bill. It's The Shining. Oh, yeah. And last year at Marion Bad. So The yes, Shining, that, obviously quite familiar with, but I don't know the the other movie. Well, the other movie is an interesting one. That was one of those movies that it was like I'd had it on Blu-ray forever, and it was a movie that my parents would talk about a lot because it's a um it's a famously even infamously um uh confusing uh i saw almost like a, a dream jigsaw film it was basically an art house an art house film a french film from 1961 and it was famous for kind of baffling audiences <laughs> that it's something it's a bit like looking at a magic eye is that you're kind of watching this movie which has seems to have like twin narratives in either different times or different dimensions and it, it never resolves itself so it's almost like I'm watching a twist movie uh film without the twist so it never resolves itself and it's just asking you to kind of like um uh take away you know to go away and and, and you you um, kind of work out what happened even the trailer I watched the trailer after I watched it and the trailer in it probably an attempt to try and sell it to American audiences says a new phenomenon in filmmaking where you are the author and I'm like <laughs> okay don't make don't make the audience do that much legwork the idea of like hey this film like um, only you can solve this we don't know what it's about and maybe you can no pressure but what was interesting 
My, so my parents had talked about it a lot as like one of those movies where they said, oh, yes, we saw that last year in Marion. Couldn't understand it. You couldn't make head and tail of it. It was like everybody was talking about it. So it's obviously like a real conversation piece film, like one of those like films of that time where everybody saw it mm-hmm. and it was a subject of much, much discussion. So I, this was another one I watched at 6 a.m. in the morning and it was like the perfect film to watch at 6 a.m. in the morning because you do feel like you're getting a contact high off it. And it does look absolutely stunning. It's so beautifully made. So if you can get the Blu-ray, like it's just like looks knockout. And when you watch it, it's also one of those films where you think, ah, you know what? I haven't seen this film before, but I've seen so many music videos that have ripped it off. Oh, that's interesting. um, Like it specifically, there's a blur video for the song to the end, which is kind of like straight up doing last year at Marion Bad. And, and also weirdly, I think the other person who was clearly influenced it was, was Stanley Kubrick because uh, the Shining, especially in the kind of the gold bar, feels very much like last year at Marion Bad. And the, the very ending of 2001 has a vibe of it as well. So oh, wow. It was clearly, clearly like, and it's not, I wouldn't say last year at Marion Bad is not a horror movie. It's like, it's like a sort of cinematic puzzle. And I'm sure <laughs> some people would probably find it the most baffling movie they've ever seen. But it's so gorgeous to look at. All of the costumes are by Coco Chanel. Oh, wow, like, really? Just, like, yeah, it just looks knockout. It, I mean, I mean, it's if you go into it knowing that like it's okay if you don't understand it by the end, then I, 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 I had to, it was the perfect six a.m. with an espresso movie because I felt like I was still dreaming. Well, I think we should watch it this weekend because yeah, this sounds, sounds right for this us. This sounds exactly great. As I'm scrolling through your Twitter, this isn't a double feature, but you mentioned Thief of uh, Baghdad and. That was one of my favorite movies. I watched it oh. over and over, and I haven't seen it since you know I was it's twelve so years good. old. It, it, I, oh. I've never seen it. Just seeing those images with like the giant spider and stuff, I remember this movie blowing my mind. I saw that when I was like eight years old or something like that, maybe even younger, and I had the Blu-ray of it, and I hadn't, I had not seen it since. But like once it. It's looks extraordinary looking movie because it's made in Technicolor. It's like it's beautiful, made in 1940, and it has, and it's at the dawn of special effects. I think it's the first film ever to use some kind of blue screen, um, but in 1940, so it's like 37 years before Star Wars. That's and, amazing, you know, and it has some amazing like matte paintings. You know, matte paintings is where they like, you know, like they, you know, where they um in old movies where they they literally have a painting yeah, the and a piece yeah. of glass. They, they shoot the action through a piece of glass. So there's a whole section, which um, you're talking about, where Sabu, the actor, um, is breaks into this temple to steal the all-seeing eye and then has to fight a giant spider. And, uh, and at the bottom of this pit, there's a giant spider web with like, you know, kind of the proto shellob at the top. And at the bottom of it, <laughs> as if like a giant spider isn't enough, at the bottom of it is a giant octopus. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing to give eight-year-olds nightmares. It's like, I mean, I don't like spiders generally in any scene with like sort of, I mean, it, you know, even with 1940 effects, it's still like thrilling. And it's got the most eye-popping use of Technicolor you've ever seen, is Helen? There, is there a scene? Oh, I thought you'd gone dead for a second. I thought no. you guys had gone. Oh, no, 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 no. This is great. Is there... you, I mean, you must do that on calls when you know they have that thing when you kind of just keep talking and thinking, have I lost them? Oh, no, the phone's dead. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm like really going back. Is there a moment in this movie where there's like a giant foot that's about to step on him? 
Yes. Oh, it's I remembered genie. that. I just had a flashback to it. I haven't seen this movie yeah. in 30 years. And it's great. I'm really like it's excited really right now. <laughs> we should watch it. There's never several seen it. versions. There's several versions of it, including a 20s version, which is also I've never seen, which people say is also great. But the one I'm talking about is the 1940 yeah, version. With Sabu. With, um, with, like, sort of, with, um, it was it's it's beautiful it's so it, the technicolor colors the color palette is just extraordinary because all of those films of that era like wizard of oz and like black narcissus and those technicolor movies like um what's the great um gentlemen prefer blondes mm-hmm. you know like that that color in that movie where it's just like wow it looks nothing like real life but it's just like so something to just yeah. luxuriate in um and then another one you have here is uncut gems and yes yeah uh so obviously i know uncut gems i don't know the small world of sammy lee so people who don't know uncut gems is um safety brothers it's uh uh, adam sandler and it's a very um, it's a very stressful movie to watch yeah if Uh, you thought good time was stressful get ready for (laughs) uncut gems (laughs) yeah it's so good yeah so the, the other film the small world of sammy lee is um it's it's not a very well known British film, but it was something that I'd because um, I did, the film I just made is set in Soho, so I'd been watching a lot of London set films, and that was one that really struck me. It was a really good little B movie. It's like a little sort of like British noir film, and it has and the, and the Safdie brothers actually because when I posted about it, they replied said I've never seen that film. I got to check it out, and it wasn't like I was accusing them of copying it or anything, but it, it's got a very similar structure in the sense of. In in uh, Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler is a jeweler who's kind of like getting way out of his um, way over his head in gambling debt. And in Small World of Sammy Lee, it's about a strip club compare who's like lost kind of a lot of money to some like leg breakers in a card game and has twenty four hours to get them the money back, or they're gonna you know like sort of break his legs basically. So it, it's a sort of similar thing where you spend sort of twenty four hours in this guy's company as he's trying to sort of like. Um, weasel his way <laughs> back into the black, basically. And so, you know, like, Sammy Lee is nowhere near as stressful as Uncut Gems, but it's a sort of similar uh, structure in a way that you get to see the underworld through this guy's journey and him, you know, dropping in on family members or trying everything he can do to get the money. Um, so they were kind of both like kind of hustler movies in a way. I mean, there's other ones that, other ones like that that are really stressful that are not necessarily... <laughs> like I wouldn't necessarily be in a rush to watch a second time, but they're amazing movies. Is like there's the John Cassavetes movie, uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, which is sort of got a similar stress levels to Uncut Gems. And then there's a film with John Cassavetes in it, directed by Elaine May called Mikey and Nikki, which is um, with John Cassavetes and Peter Falk, where this one is kind of got a similar tone to Uncut Gems, where they're both like, well, John Cassavetes is like a massive fuck up. It's a bit more like watching Good Time, where like you're so on edge because the character is making the wrong decision yeah. at every point. Yeah. There's a movie that and came out. I did actually when Uncut James came out. I did make a joke on the internet. I said, um, I said that uh, Uncut James was. Uh, I, I said alternative title: Mikey and Little Nicky. That was my. That was my <laughs> John Cassavetes Adam Sandler joke. There was a, a movie that came out in the early. I want to maybe late nineties, early aughts called White Boys. That was. It had a similar vibe of like stupid young small town drug dealer who gets in over his head and i uh 
I, I can't even remember. I can't tell you for sure that it was a good movie, but I remember just deeply feeling the stress right. of like, oh shit, this guy keeps fucking up. He can't seem to stop. He can't, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's an idiot. Like I remember feeling so viscerally upset for him, even as I also wanted to punch him and rob him throughout the movie. Um, there's a couple more double features here that I was, I was like, we'll just do one more and wrap it up. But as I'm scrolling through, there are two that I'm really excited about. So this one I want to bring up because uh, Emily will know very quickly uh, why I'm bringing it up. A Hard Day's Night and Head. Oh, yes. God, I love that. And I think I tweeted back to you that how much I loved Head, which hilarious. Yeah. God, I loved that movie. It's so bizarre. I, well, it's, it's interesting. I, I, did, I did that as a double. I didn't do that double bill, but I showed Head at the New Beverly and like, got Mickey Dolan from the Monkees to come down and talk about it, which was great. And he's such a nice guy. And, um, you know, Head is an interesting film because it was writ- co-written by Jack, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. Yep. And uh, with Bob Rafelson, the director. For people who don't know, this is the... Jack Nicholson is an actor. The, yeah. the, the, monkeys, <laughs> the monkeys made a movie called Head and Hard Day's Night is the Beatles. So these are both like sort of band And movies. the monkeys movies was a real fuck you to their like teeny bopper fans, which I kind of loved. It was just, uh, they were really rebelling against being like America's sweethearts, which I, I have so much respect for. <laughs> and well, there's, there's some controversy about that, whether the... There seems to be a bit of controversy, which... Mickey cleared up a little bit, but like it seemed to be some controversy as to whether the monkeys were in on the joke or not. That some people thought that like Jack Nicholson and Bob Rafelson had written this script, which was like the sort of self-destruct button. That, but <laughs> it, it seems to me that that's impossible that the monkeys wouldn't be really on board with it. And when I talked to Mickey Dolenz about it, he didn't really. He just was, you know. I, I think they all thought it was the right thing to do. But I do remember when I was at the New Beverly. Um, there's a lot of metaphors in like Head. I mean, it's a really fun movie. I love it, and it's a real like trippy. It's that's like the perfect film to watch at like uh, at midnight. You know, it's such a sort of like uh, a contact high type movie, and it is like what's funny about that <laughs> movie is that so the monkeys were making a show. I guess it was for CBS. I'm not sure what channel it was back in the day. I think it was CBS. I think it was CBS. Yeah. But but they shot it on the Sunset Gala lot in Los Angeles. And the movie, if you analyze it, is basically about a band or rather four people trying to get out of their TV contract. So it seems like the movie is basically them trying to get off the Sunset Gower lot. <laughs> That's basically what the movie is. is they're, they're trying to escape the lot because they don't want to do their show anymore. And literally at the end of it, the very end of the movie, not giving too much away, is that they're like literally trapped in a fish tank fish tank being driven back onto the lot so they can't they can't escape being the monkeys but more specifically they can't escape sunset gower <laughs> like it's really but i remember i was at the new beverly and like um this guy in the audience asked a question a very long-winded question he sort of said uh asking basically this he says uh mr dolans i just want to say um is it would you say that like uh, this is a you know, a treaty on the sort of uh, the fickle nature of fame and uh, and like your you know your status as a manufactured pop act and whether you know that this is showing you kind of trying to escape the sort of the the um, the confines of this image. And he went on and on. And Mickey Dolan's eventually used to go, he goes, uh, I don't know, man. I was twenty three. This is a very funny put down answer to a long pretentious question in the Q um, uh, and A. I don't know, favorite. man. I was twenty three. Mickey's my favorite monkey. <laughs> and what's the Beatles movie like? I've seen Help, but I've not oh, seen a hard day. Have you ever seen it? No. Oh, it's just pure joy. It's so fun. It's just that thing where, 
you know, like, I think when you look at, I don't know if you've ever seen that Ron Howard documentary, Eight Days a Week, but it's extraordinary when you watch that because, like, you think all of the Beatles' output Take, is in eight years. Eight years is the entire Beatles output. Is that like right? all wow. of those out. I did yeah, not realize 1962 that. 1962 to 1970, maybe even less. Maybe like seven years. If you if you look at how many albums per year and the movies, and like in 64, there's like two albums and a movie, and like and, and Hard Days Night. I'm sure it was probably shot in like you know like a month. Like they're in the middle of their, they're in the, their sort of white hot moment of fame. And it's just so joyous and so fun. And they look like, unlike maybe later where they're sort of having similar kind of um, reservations to the monkeys about like what it is to be really sort of like famous. But in Hard Day's Night, it seems to capture the Beatles at their most fun, where they're having the most fun with it. And the music is great. And it's directed by Richard Lester. And he's a brilliant director. And it's sort of got so much like, energy i mean even just just watch it tonight it's just like it's such a sort of pick-me-up movie yeah. it's so great we will uh well we have to wrap it up but i'm gonna mention a couple more real quick double bills that you have on here that i'm that i'm mm. very excited about uh this one two of my favorite movies that i've loved my whole life uh flash gordon from 1980 and big trouble in little china oh, from 1986 yes. big trouble. uh these are that's basically that's basically like the lunk the lunkhead in an action movie double bill yeah yeah like, right. because it's like two beefcakes for a very similar vibe to like chris pratt and guardians of the galaxy it's like a sort of a big lunkhead like one's a football player one's a truck driver caught up way over their head in space or in Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, or in like, you know, I, I remember seeing uh, Big Trouble in Little China and it was a tone I'd never seen Absolutely before. Absolutely, had never seen because before. Because it's funny, it's weird, it's got magic and monsters and uh, it's one of uh, John Carpenter's underrated films, I, I think. I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Um, and the other double I think bill. at that point as well when it came out, I think the funny thing is that people hadn't really, I mean, even at the time, I was like 12 when that came out and I saw it at the cinema. I mean, that film also was like not a hit. I'm always shocked. Yeah, that's right. When sometimes when you look at, well, before Box Office Mojo died a horrible death, um, I feel like the world went to um, shit when Box Office Mojo changed. <laughs> so maybe they're, the, they're the monkey's They're pop. not responsible for COVID, but it, <laughs> they it, might but be. it could be. They might be. It might be. <laughs> But if you only look at Big Trouble in Little China, a beloved film, like opened at number 12, Oof. like in its opening weekend and then disappeared. And it's, you know, but what's funny when you look at the, the, at that time, um, I know I hadn't seen these at the time, but I have now is that the movies that inspired that and actually some of the Hong Kong movies around that time, that if you like Big Trouble in Little China, there's a, there's a film that just got re-released on Blu-ray called um, uh, Zoo Warriors. Um, Zoo, uh, Z-U, and then also uh, like films like A Chinese Ghost Story okay. and also another film called um, Mr. Vampire and all of these like films where it's like the mix of like um, um, martial arts and horror together. Mm -hmm. Like is like, so that's where the big trouble in Little China tone comes from. But I always remember it's the first one I could, you know, it's where the, the hero is like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> that was what really struck me as a 12-year-old. Uh, and then the last one that I want to mention that you have here is a movie I've seen and a movie I have not seen, Eyes Without a Face from 1960, which I have seen and love. Great Billy Idol song. Uh, and yes. The Skin I Live In from 2011, Almodovar, which I have not seen. Ah, oh, well, Eyes of That Face I truly love, and I actually have the I have the poster for that on my wall in my flat, like the, the, the French poster for that. I love that movie. And it, that's a movie that my dad, <laughs> I've told this story before, but my dad 
like would talk about movies that he wouldn't remember the title. And so knowing that I was interested in horror, my dad, it would usually be something that would come up quite regularly. He's saying, oh, if you like horror films, there's this French movie I saw when I was in college. And it was so great and so gory and so scary. And it's black and white. And it's about a plastic surgeon whose daughter has been disfigured in a car accident. And so the plastic surgeon starts killing models so he can reconstruct his daughter's face. And it's really gory. Oh, you'd love it, Edgar. But I cannot remember what it's called. Uh, I know uh, it's a French movie. I know it's French and it's in black and white. Cut to years later, I'm at art college. And I see eyes without a face. And it's like, ah, this is the film that my dad was talking about. <laughs> so I call him like from college and I say, dad, I saw the French film that you were talking about, about a plastic surgeon who reconstructs his daughter's face with dead models. It's called Eyes Without a Face. And my dad goes, no, that's, that's not it. <laughs> perfect dad. Peak dad right there. He's still to this day, he thinks that it might be something else. Oh, it's a different now, black and white that- French movie about a guy reconstructing yes. his daughter's face by killing models. If you haven't seen The Skin I Live In, the Almodovar film, I would just watch that sight unseen because basically it is a riff on Eyes Without Face, but with a stunningly like um, uh, kinky twist to it. Okay. And I and I don't think Almodovar has ever made a horror film before, but it's very much a Pedro Almodovar film, but you'll love it. Just watch it sight unseen. Don't read the plot. Just kind of like okay. just dive in. And it's like properly twisted and so... I, I love that movie yeah. and I was so like I watched it not really realizing maybe I'd read a review that mentioned Eyes With That Face and then as it started to like develop I was like oh this is like Pedro Amaldivar like riffing on Eyes With That Face this is amazing yeah Eyes With so That Face is fantastic and very very creepy uh, well thank you so much for talking to us Edgar it was very nice it was know, very it's nice talking nice to, to you your voice. it's lovely to speak to you guys I miss your faces yeah. miss but you when face. I see you again I'm not going to touch them at all yeah, no touching next <laughs> touching time we is see done. each other touching, yeah. is, touching is so 2019 so 2019 uh, well thanks Edgar hopefully we, we get to see you soon we miss you well like, well, like we said on Twitter just to kind of keep some of this going is that when we see each other again, it's going to have, we can only celebrate it by making you eat Brussels sprouts. I, that I have never been more excited to eat a bowl of Brussels sprouts. <laughs> All right. Have a good day, Edgar. Thank you. Bye. We love you. See you later, guys. Bye. 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 bye, bye.